Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films, like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never make you play a ritualistic game and uh, you draw the wrong card and then we decide to sacrifice (laughs) you so that we can uh, have world domination and continue to be wealthy for eternity. Uh, But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are continuing our month-long theme of women that burn shit down. Fuck yeah. And if you haven't guessed already, we're doing that with the 2019 film Ready or Not. So this is a film directed by Matt Beninelli-Olpin. And Tyler Gillette, uh, a.k.a. Radio Silence, who, after a series of shorts, kind of got, like, their first big break with the segment 103198 in VHS. Uh, They went on to do a film called Devil's Due. They also did segments in Southbound and, of course, are now very successful between Ready or Not and the new Scream. They're currently doing Scream 6. (laughs) Uh, So a lot to look forward to with them if you enjoyed their take on it. It was written by Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murray, who each got started as writers on TV. They worked together on the show uh, Stand Against Evil. They also did Castle Rock, I think, around the same time as Ready or Not. Busick also wrote Scream, Scream 6, and the upcoming Final Destination 6. Uh, Not quite sure why he and Christopher Murray stopped working together. I don't know if there was like a falling out there or not, but (laughs) but apparently Busick is the one who has continued to work with Radio Silence here. And the film stars Samara Weaving as Grace, my queen. (laughs) (laughs) Our queen. Uh, Our queen. Don't honk her. (laughs) I wonder all to myself, damn it. Uh, Samara is an Australian actress who got her start in TV with the show called Out of the Blue and Home Away. Uh, She appeared in Ash vs. Evil Dead. She also uh, was in the film Mayhem and The Babysitter, which is where I first became acquainted with her and just absolutely was blown away by her performance in that. What's with this eye? We. Fine, we, but I believe I saw that before I... Well, maybe we knew each other already, but still. (laughs) You know, Ready or Not was basically her breakout film with a general audience. You know, of course, us horror fans had already kind of become accustomed to her, but this was the kind of first time that general audiences were really seeing what the hell we're raving about, what the hell we're raving about with Samara Weaving. She's since done the film Bill and Ted Face the Music, Snake Eyes, and has also just been announced that she's appearing in Scream 6. So excited. <laughs> Which I can't wait. I hope she plays a killer. That's my personal <laughs> hope. I doubt that will be the case, but she was supposed to be in this Scream, and I just, I cannot wait to see her in a Scream movie. So. Yeah, I don't care what she's in. I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. The film also stars Mike, Mark O'Brien as Alex, who got his start in a short-lived series called You're It. Uh, he also did the show Hannibal, was in the movie Bad Times at El Royale, which is pretty good. He's also a writer and director who just made his feature debut with the film called The Righteous, which 
Uh, I did review out of a festival not too long ago. It's very good, very interesting, kind of crisis of faith movie that I Ooh. really, really dug. He's, he's got a really unique style, so that was his debut. I can't wait to see what else he does. The film also stars Adam Brody as Daniel, who got his first kind of big lead role, I think, in uh, Growing Up Brady. He was also in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Jennifer's Body, Scream 4. Uh, he appeared in the League series, which both Chris <laughs> and I really enjoy. Yep. <laughs> and lastly, it has Henry Zerny as Tony, who's a Canadian actor who got started in TV in the 80s. Uh, he did films like Mission Impossible, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Fido, which is a really fun zombie movie if you've never seen it, kind of underrated. Uh, and he also, uh, I think, kind of formed a nice relationship with Mark O'Brien because he stars in O'Brien's film, The Righteous. Uh, and they're they're both in it. It's fantastic. And he's also going to be in Scream 6. So. <laughs> Scream so. 6, ready or not. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it. So, I mean, this movie's full of a great cast. You know, we always only have time for a few, but just a wonderful cast in this film. So for those of you that have not seen Ready or Not, it's basically about Samara Weaving as Grace, who is this bride-to-be that is marrying Alex and marrying into his family of basically, like, wealthy board game developers <laughs> <laughs> who have created a sort of dominion, <laughs> as they call it. <laughs> and anyway, after the wedding and on the wedding night, they invite her to partake in a tradition in which she draws a card, which will determine a game that they will play at midnight, and it turns out that the family has made somewhat of a Faustian pact <laughs> uh, with this guy named Mr. LeBlou. And they she ends up drawing the wrong card, hide and seek. And it turns out that they now have to hunt her murder the, time. through their mansion and murder her before sunrise or something terrible will happen to the family. So, <laughs> uh, so it's a very fun horror comedy. Uh, Chris and I really enjoy it. Uh, unfortunately, is not streaming. We will be... Uh, spoiling the hell out of this, so if you've not seen it, please go rent it. It yes. is so well worth your time. This was one of the best films of 2019, I think I can safely say. <laughs> You'll have so much fun. It's a blast. So please go check it out there, because we will spoil everything. Uh, otherwise, we have a brief little bit of spoiler-free content, so we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers. But So just as usual, the tagline versus the movie and what we thought of the film overall. So the tagline for Ready or Not was... In-laws can be murder. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Ready or Not overall? Yeah, no, I like it. I like the tagline a lot. I feel like you can very much agree with the tagline. It, it's very fitting. Yes, yep. your in-laws terrify me. Yep, <laughs> or this, my in-laws terrify me. <laughs> yeah, this movie is what Matt was very seriously considering what my family was like. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even joking. I there, there was just a small, like, 5% piece of me that was like, Chris's family is going to murder me on our wedding night. I just know it. I know they're, they're going to whip out a board game or something and be like, all right, this is what we're doing. I mean, and I'm going to scream and that'll be the end of me. <laughs> our house is kind of secluded and in the middle of the nowhere and on a lake. So, you know. Yeah, I, I really thought I was going to end up with cement shoes at the bottom of the lakes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you passed the test. You're fine. Indeed. <laughs> Although we did have a creepy-ass wedding that was kind of like Ready or Not, in which we did have, like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we got married on Halloween because we're giant nerds. And yeah. so, yeah, our whole wedding was Halloween, horror-themed. Um, we tried to do our first dance to Phantom of the Opera. That 
With, with phantom mask and all. So. It, we were very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just reminds me of like the mask that the family wears in the opening of the movie oh, where they're God. hunting someone. So. <laughs> just made me think. And, and I think I had, and we had like the cloaks and everything too. Because we we're, we're giant fucking nerds. So. <laughs> we're giant dramatic horror nerds. Yep. Um, but away from our wedding and onto the wedding of Ready or Not. Indeed. I fucking love this movie because A, I love Samara Weaving. I think that she is such a fun actress to watch and I'm very excited that she is kind of playing dual roles in the horror community. She's not only killer, but also scream queen. And her scream is amazing in this film. It, it's like s- a battle cry. Yeah, as you said while watching it, it's very unique, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mo- like, and, and there's something kind of interesting to that. The mm-hmm. Like, this is something I feel like a lot of us don't really consider when we watch horror movies is kind of like the evolution of the scream right <laughs> you know because if if you go like you know if you look at something like 70s early 80s uh it was you know always women in this mm. role doing the scream and they were always like very kind of chaotic and insane and and terrified you know mm-hmm. uh and then you started to get like some male screams and <laughs> very rare but you got some male screams we need more uh, scream kings i'm gonna say it we do and and now you have kind of samara weaving coming in with as chris said you know a scream that i do think kind of defines the current era of horror that we're in which is very much like fuck yeah women mm-hmm. and and samara does have this very like battle cry yeah <laughs> kind of scream that it's not necessarily terrified but more like frustrated and angry yeah it's no longer the screams and i feel like this is very much what we're talking about this entire month it's no longer the screams of a victim it's the screams of you know an angry woman who's about to get her fucking vengeance right and it's very cool and that's what's awesome about this movie is that you know ready or not is kind of you know it plays out a lot like a slasher in some senses Mm -hmm. but samara is the only one being hunted yeah you know so she's so she's basically like our final girl from the beginning in the sense that there are no other (laughs) you know potential victims being hunted it is just her trying to survive and it's her you know like just finding ways to get through this family that that is ironically picking each other <laughs> off. So. She's the only one who's targeted, and yet there's so many more deaths in this film. Right, right. So it's just really great. It's just a really fun, unique concept. Uh, it's just really clever, lot, really entertaining. I, I love the look of the movie. Yeah. I'm not sure how much we're going to talk about that during the episode, but I love the look of it, you know, because it considering the plot, I just love what production design did for the film, where they mm. kind of give it this very sort of old money look and it honestly like various parts of the house look a lot kind of they they remind me of like the clue board game you know (laughs) like when i think clue it i kind of think of like this ready or not house Mm -hmm. um and just like you know the secret passageways and the like really intense doors and everything they're not <laughs> secret passageways they're servants quarters Fine. well you know what i mean <laughs> they're still they're secrets to a guest all yeah. right so <laughs> so anyway so yes just a great film totally blew me away I, i've been a fan of the directors ever since and you know well scream might not have like been my favorite scream movie i'm mm-hmm. still very excited to see what they do uh throughout the rest of their career but yeah uh but that being said we're gonna get into the spoilers now so again if you have not seen ready or not Please go rent it. I don't want to spoil this movie for you. It is so good. But other than that, spoiler time. So (laughs) let's just start off with, I guess, the basic concept of it and your thoughts on 
just the whole tradition of this family. (laughs) (laughs) Of human sacrifice? Of human sacrifice for wealth. (laughs) Well, I mean, and to be fair, it's not always human sacrifice. This is what I find really interesting, you know, with this film is that, yes, the entire movie, it's about on the fact that this family has this tradition of any time a new person joins the family, they have to play a game at midnight. Those are the rules. They put a blank card into the magical mystical box and it spits out a game. And, you know, I think that it's very interesting when we look at that tradition taking away the human sacrifice because when we look at the two other members who have joined the family before Grace, which is Charity, um, Daniel's wife played by Elise uh, Levesky, and um, Fitch, who's played by Christian Brun, who's the husband of the youngest, they both got games that are very, like, appropriate to who they are as people. Charity had to play chess, which very much represents, like, how conniving she is. And Fitch got fucking old maid because he's a goddamn dumbass. Well, well, the other thing that I think is interesting there is that, you know, I I agree with you, like, the the games are kind of fitting of them. Mm -hmm. But that also ties into this thought, which is that I think that Personally, I think that only people who I'm probably saying his name wrong, Mr. LeBlue, LeBlue, Mr. LeBale, LeBale, <laughs> see, uh, Mr. LeBale, you know, I, I'm probably, I feel like getting the hide and seek card mm-hmm. means that you have potential, as in you're better than this family. <laughs> like, you, yes, like, you know, I, I hate to use the word better when I'm talking about people, but, but you have, you have a, a moral fiber, yes. you know. And and so that's something that Samara has, and that's why she draws this card, and that's something that our opening dude who gets murdered uh, in the beginning probably mm-hmm. has as well. That these other family or that the, these other family members like Fitch don't have, mm-hmm. you know, in that they don't have a moral fiber. No, like, like like Fitch and Charity, you know, they they would fucking cut the throat of their own children for this wealth. Yeah. And, and you know, Samara is not like that. Samara is truly in love with Alex. And, and you know, she, she is, uh, she is uh, better than these people <laughs> in that she is not willing necessarily to murder for money, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like the hide-and-seek card is kind of Mr. LaVale being like, hey, prove it. And, you know destroy this family destroy these like greedy motherfuckers (laughs) yeah no i completely agree i think that like you know because we get moments where um aunt helen who's played by nikki gadajani who is you know the one who lost her husband in the opening scene Mm. and who is one of the best characters of the movie because she's so fucking insane i fucking love her she is life goals because she's the human embodiment of a gremlin and i love her so fucking much this is who chris aims to be by the time she's that age like i want to be an old little gremlin like when i become like ancient the life goals indeed but you know she makes a comment in the film where she's saying that her and alex who has been helping grace try to escape his family this entire time um that they're similar and i think that's why we see both of their you know potential significant others draw you know the hide and seek card because to your point these are two individuals who have the possibility to completely destroy this house Mm. you know to question why they're fucking sacrificing goats and worshiping satan and all of this shit that this family does behind doors and it is mr labelle basically being like hey if you don't kill this person they will destroy this family one way or another 
Right. So so we're not exactly placing any sort of like morality on Mr. LaBelle, you know, no. like I, I do think that the that the card itself is supposed to speak to like this as a person with morality. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. But, but the other side of this, too, that's just really fun about Ready or Not and just some heavy commentary in this, you know, rich horror comedy is that <laughs> sort of there um, <laughs> is that. You know, it also speaks to the exclusivity of the rich, mm-hmm. you know, of, of this 1% class, which they are. Like, I'm not just talking people that are wealthy. I'm talking about, like, the 1%. The that, billionaires. Uh, the billionaires that own, like, the world, Way basically. more than they should. <laughs> right. Um, that own the world. And, you know, it speaks to the exclusivity of them because... You know, just think about it. Like, it's not enough for Grace to just marry into the family. Grace has to pass a goddamn, like, ancient Faustian (laughs) test to get in. And Mm. if she is deemed not morally hollow enough... Then she is murdered she and, is and, and and becomes a sacrifice. You know, like that that just speaks so much to how difficult it is to actually break into this part of the world. You know, we yeah. touched a lot on this when we talked about the film Society recently, and just how there is this, you know, group of people essentially in the world, this old money, right, that has been rich and in power and just kind of pulling the strings of everything for so long that it is damn near impossible for you to ever reach a level of wealth where you get to be sort of a part of that right (laughs) yeah you know like like you have to really 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 make a lot of money and and you know just really break down some doors to actually be allowed into this and then of course the question becomes would you actually want to be (laughs) well and i think that's the thing like you know we talk about this with billionaires sometimes that there is no ethical way to become a billionaire Mm. and i feel like ready or not really hits it on the head and you know to quote daniel you know, he says it to Grace, the rich really are different. Right. Um, and there's this moment later where Alex and his mother are having kind of this this heart-to-heart about Grace, you know, and the mom is really talking about how she likes Grace and she's regretting, like, that they have to do this, but nobody fucks with her family. Mm. And Alex admits to his mom the fact that the reason why he left the family, it wasn't because they were doing you know, the sacrifices and sacrificing the goats and, like, worshipping Satan. He left because it felt normal. Like, mm. he didn't think that it felt weird or that it was out of place. Like, Well, well if, right, because cause they've lost, you know, that part of themselves that would turn their nose up and disgust at it a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, that really, for me, hits home, you know, this tradition that this family has really hits home the fact that the rich do not fucking care. Right. They will murder and, and step on anyone. It, it just makes me think of Samara's quote at some point when she's, like, trying to escape and this car just drives right by her and she's like, fucking <laughs> rich people you know because it's so true like they, they really are just a different kind of people you mm-hmm. know and and it's really like just kind of sad and infuriating just how you know different they are in that regard and you know like just and and further touching on like just how you know exclusive it kind of is i mean the other thing to think about here is that you know it's basically an impossible task mm-hmm. uh, for Samara to even win the game, you know, yep. uh, like, like when, you know, when she actually asked the father, like, you know, can I win? And he's like, well, if you stay hidden until dawn, <laughs> it's like, you know how fucking hard that would be mm-hmm. in a, in a fucking house with all these people hunting you for hours. Who know, you know? the house, like the back of their hand. Exactly. Like that's difficult enough. And then also just each time, 
you know, someone's getting married in this family, it's continuing to grow and grow and go. So you have this just giant group of people that are after you, right? Yep. Like, like the game is set up to be so impossible that you are not supposed to win. Mm-hmm. You know, it's meant to be like, you don't have a chance. You are going to die. And, you know, the, the hide and seek song that they play as um, everything is setting up, it, it, you know, it just uh, emphasizes that fact because, first of all, Creepy as shit, Son. Like, so like, fucking creepy. Seriously, put the subtitles on if you can't understand it because the lyrics are terrifying. Yeah, w- when you actually listen to it, it's basically like, I'm going to get you. I'm going to creep up on your ass <laughs> until you can basically hear me breathing in your ear and then I'm going to murder you. You know, <laughs> you're like that's fucked. A, like, you're fucked is basically the whole theme <laughs> of that song. And, it, you know, it just kind of, and, and when you look like through the, the family's board games, you know, you get little shots of them. Most of them are are just straight up, you know, ripoffs of classic board games, which is, mm-hmm. of, of course, intentional, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then there's other games that are just very, like, sinister, mm-hmm. you know, and, and speak to kind of the nature of the family and of this tradition, which is that, you know, they're games of, of like, cheating. Yeah. You know, they're, they're you know, I, I forget what the game is called, but there's one that's basically, like, take the risk and get an advantage, you know, and, like, they're games about fucking people over mm-hmm. and and cheating and sleuthing <laughs> to be the winner you know i mean there's and one it, literally called family secret <laughs> right exactly and so so it's all just about like how the rich take advantage of the world you know in mm-hmm. that these people didn't earn their money nope you know like it's they're, generational right well it's generational but even generations back the person who earned the money was because he made a fucking pact with the devil you know so like, hey, he had to figure out that puzzle box Oh boo hoo! What did he? What did he do? Like touch it for a few seconds and press a button? I mean, that's forget, true. You know, I, I always love puzzle boxes in horror because they're always like so incredibly not difficult. You know, <laughs> like 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 the like the cube in Hellraiser. You know, like the puzzle box in Hellraiser. The the lament configuration. I'm always like, I'm always like, how do people not figure this out? Like, I mean, just I feel like touch that's, it a little bit. I feel like that's definitely the point. Is that the demon or the devil wants you to well, figure it out? Well, of course it is. Because we they, would be fucked. I love puzzle boxes. Well, <laughs> well, and, and hopefully you would be too drunk to figure it out. But, <laughs> uh, but the point is, is that you know. They, they, none of them, even going back generations, didn't earn this. Yes. You know, they didn't earn this wealth. And, you know, like, not to, like, I'm sure some of you have families out there that have wealth, and that's fine. But, like, you know, a lot of this billionaire class, I mean, you know, some of this wealth just comes back from, like, oh, they just settled here early. It's not exactly that they, you know, necessarily worked hard. Yeah. It's that they spent their lives fucking people over. So. Uh, you really don't get to that level of wealth without the blood of others being covered. It, Exactly. It's all over your fucking hands. Yeah. You know? So, so I mean, that's just the whole point to Ready or Not is that, like, it's exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about backstabbing. And the rich really are, as they say, just a different mm-hmm. breed. <laughs> I have to admit, one of my favorite points to this is the fact that um, we have this moment where Grace has escaped the house and she's made it out to the sacrificial goat pit. Because they have a sacrificial goat pit where they throw in all the dead bodies. Mm. Um, and she gets confronted by one of the the kids who's like fucking eight. And this is how like ingrained it is in that group of people that this eight-year-old has no idea why, but shoots her in the goddamn hand because everybody else is doing it. He doesn't question it. He doesn't think about it. There's mm. no morality in this fucking eight-year-old. Yeah, well, I mean, that also speaks to current events, right? Of just like... Hey, you know, uh, maybe we'd have less mass shooters if you all stopped fucking fetishizing guns so much. But yep. but that's another tale for another day. So, 
But, you know, and then, of course, the other part of this, too, just speaking on the morality end, is just how, you know, another theme of this, of course, is, you know, similar to uh, to kind of what we talked about uh, earlier with your next, which is just how, you know, this movie is also sort of a big metaphor for just like a breakup, you know, like that. <laughs> yes. and, 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 you know, just kind of getting into sort of the toxicity of men, but in a different mm-hmm. way, you know? Yeah. And, and that's all seen through Alex in the sense that... Fuck Alex. Fuck him, right? You fuck know, him. He's the and, worst person ever. Well, he is. And this is part of the brilliance of Ready or Not is that, you know, it's actually a really great, great twist with it where you think that... And look, you, a lot of us, me included, when you first watch Ready or Not, I don't think we're sitting there sympathizing for Alex very much. But, mm. but, we, but you know, it's kind of nice to be like, oh, he's, he's kind of a good character, right? Like he's trying to save her... And it's such a great twist later on when he's like, no, my family, bitches, you know. But the thing is, is that when (laughs) he does not tell Grace about Mm -hmm. this tradition, he does not tell her about what he is setting her up for. And later he even basically blames her (laughs) (laughs) when when he's like, well, you wanted to get married. And I just I fucking love Weaving's response. I'm just like, you know. (laughs) Are you fucking serious right now? Like, <laughs> and she beats him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I look, I didn't like Alex from the moment that scene happens because because this is a huge part of his family. This is not he knows this this, this is not something that they can just do the wedding and go back home. That's just not possible with a family like his. And so he chose the coward's way out. He is the bad husband. He's the worst husband in this whole slew of terrible men who are willing to like sacrifice and kill people. Alex is the worst of them because, well, because well, Daniel told Charity, Daniel told his wife before she married into the family. In this film's universe, in he's this the film's worst universe, of them. Yes. I mean, there's certainly worse husbands in oh, movies, but definitely in this uh, film's universe. Yeah, but no, but no, he's he's terrible, and you know, it speaks to just like how I, I think. You know, not just not just male toxicity. I mean, we talk about it all the time. You guys know our thoughts on that. But uh, but, you know, also just another kind of uh, way that the rich act in in just viewing people as objects. Right. Yep. You know, viewing them as property, really. And I, I think you see a lot of that in Alex and the way that he treats Grace, mm-hmm. because, you know, not only is he kind of blaming her and, mm-hmm. you know, saying, like, well, you want to get married. But all of that and their conversation about marriage also implies, first of all, he never wanted to. Yep. And was only doing it to placate her because he didn't want to, quote, lose her, right? Gross. But also just the fact that he didn't tell her, the fact that he gave her no warning whatsoever about what she was getting into. Yep. And the fact that he didn't do that because he didn't want her to leave you know, and is willing to, like, threaten her own life for his own satisfaction, all of that just speaks to, like, how Alex views her as property. Yes. You know, like, she's not a person to him. She's, nope. like, a thing that he that he owns, that he has a say over, and he's not giving her her own autonomy to, like, actually make the choice of, am I going to go through with this to become a part of your family? <laughs> right. It's, it's this gross thing that I feel like happens in relationships a lot with dudes sometimes because they just are not super raised to talk about their emotions and their feelings, blah, 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 blah. But we see that really with Alex because he is absolutely using grace, whether he acknowledges it or not. We get the feeling throughout the movie that he... Well, I think a part of him does love Grace. He loved the, he loves this idea of who he is with Grace. 
Mm. You know, he gets yeah, to, exactly. Yeah, he gets to pretend like he's not super rich. He gets to pretend like he never sacrificed a goat and hailed Satan and all this kind of stuff. And it really speaks to the imbalance that you get in relationships sometimes when one person shares because Grace has clearly shared how important family is because of what she's been through. She's really opened up and shared and tried to connect with Alex and he has not done the same with her and that's just not fucking healthy at least you fucking sacrificing your bride on your wedding night. Right. Well, well it's why I'm saying that, you know, to him, I mean, she's like a cake, right? Like yep. she <laughs> Exactly. I like how you just say yep and and you're not even sure what I'm gonna say, but <laughs> I agree that Maybe... he thinks she's like a cake. Okay, I mean, well... I also do because she's delicious, but I would respect I, this. I cake. mean I mean, yes, she is visually delicious, <laughs> but what I but what I mean is that, you know, he treats her like a cake and that you know, we eat things like cake because we just want to feel satisfied and better about ourselves in the moment, right? <laughs> and we feel like complete shit once the cake is gone. But you feel. I never feel like shit. I f are you kidding me? My stomach wants to murder me after I eat cake. But the point is, bitch. is that. <laughs> you little bitch. Um, <laughs> the point is, is that, you know, he, he, he is viewing her as something that makes him feel better about himself. It's not really mm -hmm. about giving a reciprocal love, it's about yep. just taking and taking and not giving back, right? Yep. I mean, you see other examples of this within the movie of just kind of how women are sort of treated this way in the film, you know, because, I mean, fucking, you know, fucking Daniel's wife, Charity, is basically a trophy wife. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, like, he clearly hates her, and she's yep. just hot. And I'm not really sure what Becky's story is, played by Andy McDowell, legend. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really sure what her whole story is. You know, she kind of seems like she also just, you know, married in and was a lot... You know, didn't really come from money or anything like mm -hmm. that, and and who knows? But and then and then you just have the way that the father treats Grace later, where you know he's basically saying something like, you know, how is she doing this? She's just a little blonde twig, you know, and <laughs> and like basically just completely demeaning her capabilities mm -hmm. because she's feminine. So. <laughs> I mean, I love that scene because yes, he's absolutely diminishing her for like being feminine, being a girl, all that kind of stuff. But my favorite thing is he's, he's just like, she's picking itself like fries. He's like, no, your youngest daughter has murdered multiple people. Grace has literally done nothing. I mean, that's part of the best part, right? Is that right. Grace literally kills no one except for the mother in the end. <laughs> she kills the mother and she kills Stevens. She kills um, the dude driving the car. I'm pretty sure he's dead. That I don't think he survived that car accident. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought he was just nine. Well, I don't know. But um, his death is indetermined. Indetermined. And I mean, it's just it's just all kind of like a fun play on relationships in general, you know, and, and just and as, of course, you know, just the toxicity of men as well, and just mm -hmm. like how you know, the toxic relationships like this are all just about games, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're all about, the, like, the games that we play and the lies that we tell. And, and you know, that that's what this all seems to be about, which is why I do love, you know, that it, it ultimately ends with, like, weaving just being like, hey, fuck you, Alex. <laughs> I, I fucking... <laughs> fuck, fuck you and your goddamn family. <laughs> I fucking love her just going, oh, Alex, I want a divorce. Like, it's just so perfect. But I feel like for me, it also kind of ties into the fact that, you know, we see with Alex this, there's a lot of conversation about family and the importance of family and stuff like that. And I think the other thing that Ready or Not kind of talks and about a little bit is how these bonds of family can blind people to the truth of the situation. Because I think the other thing going off of what you've said about this being relationships and bad breakups, one of the things that can cause a bad breakup is... Alex's family is fucking crazy. 
and no shit no shit <laughs> um but alex has the the option to either help her and be by her side with all of this he could be standing with her and murdering his family to get his new bride out but he's not he's skulking around in the shadows because he doesn't want to stand up to his family i think mm. this is something that matt can relate to with with my family <laughs> we are I'm not even going to say that we're tight-knit, but this idea, this bonds of loyalty is so strong that it can make it very uncomfortable for newcomers coming into the family. Right. And I'm the complete opposite. Like, with my family, if you piss me off, I'd be like, all right, fuck you. you yeah. know? <laughs> I, have, I have no ties whatsoever. So. Uh, so I think it's interesting that it's also kind of like, you know, pointing out that, pointing out the fact that we don't always protect our significant others the way that we should from the insanity of our family and the fact that those bonds shouldn't overtake the new ones that we're forming. Well, well for sure. And it's what's so fun about just kind of the opening act of this movie, right, mm -hmm. is just how, you know, it's just how much grace is left to just, like, deal with this family. Yeah. Uh, and just... She's taking fucking wedding pictures with Daniel, the brother. What the fuck is that shit? I don't know, but you know, but she she's just kind of left to deal with all of them, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and first of all, I want to point out too that Tony is fucking crazy because he like hates Grace for some reason or mm -hmm. thinks she's not worthy. I'm sorry, man. Samara Weaving is cool as shit and she's beautiful and you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like, what the fuck are you complaining about, Tony? Like I'm sorry she doesn't have money, bitch, you know? She's still fucking <laughs> awesome. But yeah, I mean, she's just she's just left to like basically face all of this on her own and you know, it's just really interesting to see, too, like, just the dynamics between the sort of older generation versus the younger generation of this family. Mm -hmm. Because in in the older generation, you've got, you know, the, the parents and the aunt, and they're just very, like, committed to tradition, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like, so much so that... You know, they're they're using like crossbows and spear guns <laughs> and like shit that, you know, the dad says would have been used in grandfather's time or whatever. Yep. And, and, you know, part of the fun of that or and part of the irony of that is they're the total fucking hypocrites because <laughs> at the same time that they're like, oh, we follow tradition. They also have all the windows locked by high tech security. You know? Right. So like, like what fucking tradition is that bitch? <laughs> so, again, they're still cheating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still a game that they're giving themselves all of the advantages at yeah um I, I mean not to mention they don't even tell grace the game like what they're actually doing you know mm -hmm. so for all she knows she could just be sitting in the dumb waiter for a minute it's gonna open five minutes later and they're gonna shoot her in the face she's, <laughs> she's not even gonna know what the hell's coming right um but anyway you know so there's just this dynamic of like the the old have this tie to a tradition mm -hmm. and the young you know sort of speak to like how eventually this sort of almost like inbreeding of of unmorality and or, or of lack of morality and you know just selfishness and mm -hmm. uh and, and spoiled you know upbringings like all of that eventually inbreeds into just like this newer generation that could not care less about <laughs> anything you know i mean there's such a difference between how the younger people in the family are viewed towards the older mm -hmm. where the older are very serious about this. They're committed to everything. And the, you know, the younger generation, they're all just a bunch of fucking fuckwits. They're getting you know? high like on they're, coke. 
Well, right. Like, you have fucking Emily played by Melanie Scarafano, who is just fucking hilarious in this film. Like, I love I, her. I, I love her snorting the coke and, and be like, oh, you got this. Dope. No more fuck ups. You know, and she like sniffs the coke, like, you know, like winking in the mirror and stuff with the gun. Like, it's all it's all great. And yeah. but but again, it's just they're they're all dipshits. Like, yes. You know, they're all either spoiled or or full of themselves or mm-hmm. dumb as shit. Or, or they're like Daniel, who have just become a fucking zombie because they hate their goddamn family and life so much. <laughs> I mean, I honestly feel like Daniel is the only one in that family that actually has morality. Well, well, he has. See, the thing with Daniel that's interesting is I feel like he's trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying. He's trying to ask himself, like, am I actually a good person, mm-hmm. or or have I been corrupted too much to the point within this family that I don't have that part of me anymore? Well, I think Daniel's an interesting character because if you look at him, I think he suffers from classic oldest sin- sibling syndrome where I think that he realizes what's going on is wrong, but he's doing his best to protect his youngest siblings from having to face the true darkness of what their family is. But now that they're adults and he's seeing them fucking up and doing this shit he never wanted for them, yeah, he's just drunk at the bottom of a bottle because he can't deal with it anymore. But yeah, I do agree with you. This is... It's interesting because I feel like with every generation... You know, these are already people who haven't earned their money, you know, but with every generation who has to work less and less and it becomes a little bit more ingrained in them that these are the motions they have to do without Mm. necessarily believing it or anything like that, like you do get further and further away. And I feel like it's this thing of, you know, if you don't hold I guess, people accountable you try to, like, teach more anything like that, then, yeah, you end up with a bunch of fucking nitwits who don't have to know how to shoot these weapons, who don't know how to hunt, who don't know how to do any of these things that their family needs them to do. Not that I want them to kill Grace, but... (laughs) Well, an interesting thing, too, is that, you know, this entire family is aware of the possibility of having to hunt Grace. Mm -hmm. And I always find it kind of funny that, you know, they're, like, uh, that they're all so shocked that it happened because, I mean... it happened to the aunt's husband, and I mean, like thirty gra- years ago. And granted, it, that's thirty years, but it's not like that's that long ago, right? you know. So like, so you get the idea. It's, it doesn't happen that that infrequently. But so, a couple so, of times a generation. Yeah. So the fact that they keep coming back, they know the risk, and mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because they come back. You know, because Chastity has the line where she says, "I'd rather be dead than lose all of this," and I feel like that's kind of the mentality of these family members. Where it's like they come here because they want to have that advantage of making sure they don't lose their money, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure they don't lose their status. Is they're going again to give themselves every advantage they can to make sure that they hold on to that, yeah, you know, and that's and that's part of what's too is fascinating about the way that the older generation kind of picks and chooses uh, what sort of traditions and rules they follow because it really just makes the point that the wealthy don't follow any rules, no. You know, they, they make up a bunch of bullshit to, to satisfy themselves <laughs> and make themselves sleep easier at night. Mm-hmm. I feel like that has kind of this false idealism of like, we don't cheat. We use old <laughs> traditions, you know, like we make it as we make it fair. And it's like, no, you don't, motherfucker. Yeah. Like you're, you're cheating in almost every way possible. But then he's also picking and choosing. You see how the family picks and chooses what they want. The mm-hmm. aunt makes a point of that with him. He makes the point that, you know, it was their dad that introduced the idea of, like, the masks and the capes and everything. <laughs> and, they, and they have chosen not to do that. So it kind of speaks to, like, how, you know, one, the fact that the rich 
make the rules in society. Yep. You know, they make and create their own rules, but then they also continue to bend and change them to their advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's very much a commentary on how the fact that the rules only apply to the poor. Yeah. It only applies to not them. They can do whatever right. look they at, want. Look at fucking Donald Trump, for example. <laughs> the guy, the guy's broken every goddamn law possible. He's still free. Yep. <laughs> that motherfucker should be in jail right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very much a commentary, like, towards that. I feel like, for me, it also, like, is similar to what we've said before about religion and stuff like that, where this is a family who, you know, ostensibly has a religious text that they have to follow. Yeah. But like anything else, they pick and choose what they want to follow, what they don't want to follow, what's convenient versus what's inconvenient with no real sense of principles or dedication to what they're following. Because, you know, you pointed it out. They know this shit happens. They mm. know they have to do the hunt. It would be very easy for this family to practice with the goddamn weapons to have a battle plan and know how to do this shit. But well, they're such spoiled fucking assholes. Well, Emily certainly could have used some fucking practice. <laughs> Emily could use a little less coke. <laughs> or more coke. Or more coke. Maybe you know, more coke. Okay, to be fair, if she takes coke, she takes like three different pills. Emily is all over the place. I'm going to be honest. I'm not even sure how Emily is standing by the end of the movie because, like, look, I've never personally done coke, but I have done edibles. And... <laughs> I'm not really sure how she is functioning. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie. I kind of want Emily to be my friend. Oh, she seems like she'd be super fun to hang out with. Obnoxious as hell. Yeah, it's, it's somebody that you only hang out with like once a month. But like, you know, we're talking about traditions and picking and choosing. Emily and Fitch choose to ignore the wedding. They so don't give a shit about the family and traditions that they completely don't even show up to Alex and Grace's wedding. Mm. But they make sure to show up for the family game night. Well, right. Like That's, I said, they're, yep. they're showing up to make sure that nothing happens to them. Yep. That nothing happens to their wealth, you know? To their inheritance, their kids' right. inheritance. Right. So, so I guess another way you could look at that is the way that the wealthy kind of support each other in that sense, mm -hmm. right? You know, they're always covering up for each other and looking yep. out for each other. I mean, we're not fucking stupid. And I hate sounding like a conspiracy theorist <laughs> on this podcast sometimes. But it's like, any anyone with common sense knows that the rich constantly cover up for each other. Oh, obviously. <laughs> you know, like, we're not dumb. No. <laughs> we just can't do anything about it that we know of. So <laughs> You know, aside from murdering everybody, but eat the rich, <laughs> eat the rich. Oh, and fun and quick thing, too, uh, that I just love as a reference is back to the mass thing. You know, not even just touching on the theme, but since ready or not is kind of like a fun play on slashers a, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like I keep saying the word fun. Uh, <laughs> this <laughs> movie's fun movie. this movie's fucking fun. All y'all. All right. Drinking game for the word fun for this episode. Please don't. You'll die. Um, <laughs> but. But no, I, I like the mask thing because it's kind of a fun call. Damn it. I like the mask thing because it's a callback, you know, to kind of just slashers of the 80s, right? And how yeah. they always wore masks. And, and the dad makes the point of like, oh, that's, that was dad's idea. It was the, the 80s. 80s, you know? And just like the killers always wore masks. And now, you know, we don't see that as often. They're mm -hmm. kind of maskless. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but another part of just kind of how this film really talks about just the way the rich are in general mm -hmm. is also like just seen through the deaths in the movie <sighs> and how they occur because not one family member except for the mom dies until the very end mm -hmm. you know by grace's hand yeah other than that all the family members you know die in kind of like that epic conclusion 
And up until that point, it's the fucking servants all getting picked <laughs> off. And they're all getting picked off by themselves or Emily. So. Yep. Yeah, it's really interesting because it does, like, reinforce this idea that the poor are just fodder for the rich. Yeah, and, and you know, like, they, they refer to Grace as an animal, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that, and just kind of, you know, referencing the fact that we're all sort of like the goats to them, you know? Yep. Like, the bodies get thrown in with the goats. We're no different. <laughs> I, I do love the fact that every time a servant gets murdered, somebody's just like, does this count? Does this count towards anything? And Aunt Helen has to keep going, no, why do you keep asking that? Well, right. And then you have uh, Fitch's line, which I guess was actually improvised, where he says something about, you know, uh, let's let's get the other one that's still alive to come in here and clean that shit up, referring, <laughs> you know, the shit being like the dead the servants. <laughs> Uh, it is really interesting because the first two that we have die are both Emily being coked up and just not paying attention to her surroundings. Well, not even being coked up. I mean, just being oh, no, a fucking moron. I mean, <laughs> it can be both. It's both. It's both. It's both. But, you know, I feel like that's very much like commenting on, like, the negligence of the rich. How much they just do not give a shit about anybody lesser them. And they can cover up murder. We have no mm. idea how many murders are covered up by the rich because they just didn't feel like reporting it. Yeah, it ain't, it ain't people. Off. It ain't werewolves and vampires out there eating people. All right, it's the rich. It's the fucking rich. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be in soylent green here sooner or later. <laughs> you all just wait. <laughs> the two that are interesting for me are the last two though, because I'm you know the first two ma- maids. They're not even maids. They're just the affairs of Tony. Like, oh, well, yeah, basically, uh, one of them flat out says, you know, I, I'm new here. He just likes to watch me dance or whatever. Yeah, so she's the last one. I don't even remember her name. How sad is that? I'm not sure they have names. I don't know. They do technically have names, but I don't know what they are. Okay, well, I'm surprised the movie gave them names considering yeah. the themes. Right? <laughs> you know, but the last one is interesting because, ostensibly, I kind of see her almost as the last two that's are a betrayal of class because, you know, the maids and even Stevens should be more on Grace's side, you know, stick together against the rich because they're all chewing you up and your fodder. You know, and the last maid, she gets guillotined ostensibly by her own idiocy, but Mm. that's after she's willing to serve Grace up on a platter. She knows people are dying. She knows that she's not safe, and she's hoping that by serving Grace up, she can escape death herself. And this fucking movie goes... Nope, class betrayal. You're fucking guillotining yourself. Well, I mean that. Uh, there's another word I keep using is irony, but that's another irony in the movie, right? Is mm-hmm. that you know that there are people very much like that all over society. You know, mm-hmm. I what what's the thing that you always say about Americans is that we're all just we all just think we're temporarily oh just temporarily poor. We're one step away from being millionaires. Right. We're all just one step away from being millionaires. Right. Mm-hmm. That that's how Americans are raised to yep. to think is that we're all. You know, we're all going to die super wealthy and famous. If and you pull <laughs> yourself up by your bootstraps, you can also be rich. Right. A, a line which was basically rich people mocking us because yep. that's impossible. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, but but that's the thing is that in society, uh, there is that betrayal. It's part of human nature. You know, humans will literally fuck each other over and stab each other in the back to, to get a piece of the pie. And, you know, the case here in Ready or Not is that you have uh, these servants who are, you know, you have to imagine they they see themselves probably as like working their way up into mm-hmm. the upper class, right? Like that's probably the goal is that they're trying to become part of that lifestyle and part of that world. Mm-hmm. And the thing there is, is that not only are they betraying their class, so to speak, like mm-hmm. with grace, but they will also never be <laughs> no. what, what they're going for, you know? Like... 
You got the older guy, Stevens. I mean, he he looks like he's probably well into his 50s at least. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't think you're going to make it there, dude. I don't no. think you're going to become part of that class because they will always keep you out because you're not part of the bloodline. You're not part of the 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 rich you know you're not part of that tradition <laughs> uh, i think the sad thing with stevens is the fact like i think with all the maids they're all of the mentality since they're basically side pieces to all the dudes oh. that maybe they'll be able to be the mistress and be taken care of and that mentality for sure yeah yeah with stevens it's interesting because like he does serve the family and i feel like the sad thing you see with stevens is i think that he has this mental belief that he is part of the family you know that he is part of the ladomo family by serving them his entire life and the reality of the situation is no they don't give a fucking shit about you dude like again he is an undetermined death but here's the thing they left him in the goddamn car Mm. like even if like maybe he survived he probably bled out or has a horrible concussion and that man will never well, be the same well again they're just objects you know yes. they're, they're just objects of the family they're I, tools you know, they're tools right and, and like you know I, I noted how everyone keeps saying claire was their favorite and it's not and it's in such a way that it's like you know it's almost like talking about like your i don't know like your like your favorite movie your favorite video game you know it's, like your favorite chair or like she's their favorite sex toy Right, exactly. Right, which is gross. Right, the reality of the situation. Right, no, you're you're dead on. That's what it is. She is their favorite sex toy, eye candy, whatever. Because I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's just the men that keep saying that. So. It's just Fitch and Tony that say that. Right, so there you go. So you know, they're just they're they're objects to them. They're mm-hmm. the, the anyone who is not part of that class is might as well be a chair or an <laughs> animal or whatever to them. You know, because yep. there's so much less than in their eyes <laughs> mm-hmm. they're not even human right exactly so uh <laughs> the rich are fucking gross the rich are fucking gross which brings us to one of the greatest endings in horror Love i think in the last decade so much and and there's and there's so much that's kind of interesting here because uh first of all something i didn't mention earlier that i just want to throw in since we're talking about the ending is that I do love how uh, the co- you'll appreciate this as an as a ex costume designer is that the mm-hmm. costume designers put a ton of work into Grace's dress where I guess they had something like seventeen different dresses for her yeah. uh, because throughout the film she's losing more and more of it. Yep, which also kind of speaks to like getting further and further away from Alex and this family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in in the original script, uh, Grace died. You know, oh, like, like in the original script, Grace died and it was a darker ending. And I think it was the directors who basically came back. I, I'm not sure if they asked for a rewrite or did the rewrite themselves. I can't quite remember. But they came back and they wanted to basically have uh, something that's pretty common, actually, in Hollywood is have, you know, two different endings to work with and kind of see what works. Mm-hmm. And with those usually it's like a small change you know like like a little like like a big change yeah. in how it impacts the audience but usually it's it's small in terms of script mm-hmm. you know and just like how much is rewritten and in this case they came back with like 12 pages or something mm-hmm. and ended up just having this completely different <laughs> ending you know like a lot of different stuff to shoot yeah for this and it turned out to definitely be the right choice because mm-hmm. the directors were basically like you know this is a fun movie we want to leave the audience with like a feel good yeah satisfying moment and we would totally destroy that 
if you kill the main character, you know? So. Yeah, I'm so glad that they went with the ending where everybody fucking explodes. It's great. It's so much better. And the thing that I really love and I appreciate about this ending is the fact that it doesn't happen right away. This entire movie, we've spent the entire thing running around, you know, they believe in Satan, they worship Satan, this cult shit. And it's always been a question throughout the entire thing. Is this shit fucking real or not? You know, like all of us question, you know, the shit that you believe, is it real or is it not? And so I love that we hit the dawn marker. They open up the curtains. Every fucking rich person shies away from the sun like like goddamn vampires. You know, and nothing happens for a beat. Which basically, I love the fact that we have this moment of, what if this was horse shit? What if this family had murdered so many people in the name of this devil and it was horse shit? How do you live with yourself after that? And I love the fact that we have that moment where the, the family has to come to terms with, you know, their own twisted morality. And then Mr. LaBelle is just like, nah, fuck that, y'all suck. And then explodes all well, of them. Well, I, you know, I feel like you can look at this a couple different ways is that, you know, for one, I, I do like that it doesn't happen instantly. Yeah. Uh, and I also like that it, of course, happens. You know, mm-hmm. so th- this whole blood thing, all them exploding, I'm pretty sure that was the rewrite. I don't think that that was the original ending. I don't know what the original ending was other than, other than now. Grace dying, but, but yeah, that whole idea of this is bullshit or not. I love that eventually it comes back to them because it is sort of this kind of, you know, punch to the face of the wealthy of mm-hmm. like the rules apply to you too. Yeah. You know, like you all, you all bend and break the rules all the time and do whatever the hell you want to make up your own shit. Mm-hmm. But rules apply to you too, you know? And eventually, greed catches up with you. Yep. Like, of we, we like to... And, you know, that's not always the case in the real world. No, but, that's almost never the case in the real world. But but we like to think that eventually, people like this get what's coming to them. And, and they'll so, explode. <laughs> and they'll explode in the giant blood bubbles. Yep. And, <laughs> and so, so I like that element of it, of just... There's this brief moment of them thinking that they've got a, gotten away with it, mm-hmm. as people in their position often do... And then Mr. Leo comes back and is like, no, no, no. Rules apply to you motherfuckers, too. So so I like that element of it. And then there's also just this idea that, you know, I almost kind of like the thought that maybe, just maybe, they were going to be allowed to live. Because there's stories of what's happened to other family members. Mm-hmm. You know, they are just that. They're just stories. Like, we don't, we don't really know the truth of it. And it kind of feels like most if not all of them don't really know the truth of it either right yeah and so it feels like maybe it is bullshit you know Mm -hmm. maybe they won't die depending on their actions and so the stalling of it is briefly kind of like maybe if they would have let grace go Mm -hmm. that this wouldn't have happened to them but the fact that they all sort of simultaneously decide we're going to fucking kill her anyway. Yeah. You know, almost kind of feels like them just get, they get their one last chance <laughs> <laughs> to show some kind of morality and they fuck it up, you know? Yeah. Like, like the aunt is the first one who says something like, you know, the girl still dies yep. and then she's the first one to blow <laughs> up, you know? So, <laughs> uh, and, th- and then of course, you know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting to see like, is, is Alex going to make any kind of redeeming move? And then, of course, no, he doesn't, and he tries to weasel out of it like the weasel that he is. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that Alex had a moment where he potentially could have redeemed himself, where, you know, Grace has murdered the mom, 
because the mom is a fucking bitch in the end, because she has this moment, the mom says the thing that is the worst thing for Grace to hear and how the rich view anybody who's not one of them. And that's, you will never be a part of this family. You don't belong in this family. And so I feel like Grace is 100% like justified in fucking wailing on her fucking face. Right. You know, but... And speaking on that, we do get the line from the dad, too, who... This is another example, same thing we saw on your next, I believe, where the dad says, who the fuck do you think you are? Yes. You know, again, just speaking to the privilege of dudes and rich people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then we immediately have this moment where Alex finds her, and she's she's finally killed. Grace has killed her first person, you know, in the stress of everything that has happened. And Alex goes out to reach her, and she draws back, and he has this moment where he's just like, you're not going to be with me after this, are you? Like, motherfucker, this is what you're focused on. Like, and this is the moment that you decide to turn on Grace because she has been through fucking hell and back with no help from you, my bro. Well, well, it's it's a moment deciding of, like, because you're going to break up with me, I'm going to kill you. Yes. You know, and that's, and that's something that I think many women can attest to is – a, yep. a potential fear of theirs, right? And just yep. and and understandable considering the history of stories that we've heard about stuff like that, right? Like yep. I, I've I have very rarely heard of women who murder men after they break up with them, but you hear a lot about the alternative, and the alternative is usually too just like the the woman didn't like me, you know, yep. like it's not even a breakup; they just didn't like you or denied you. So you make sure to do that shit in public. So yeah. you're less likely to get murdered. <laughs> right. So so again, just going back to the whole male toxicity thing of it, like mm-hmm. that's part of it there. But and, and the whole thing with Alex too, you know, there's also just a touch of like just kind of the the downfall of being so committed to family, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh like something that I see more and more these days, which I very much relate to, uh, that I don't think was as common of a thought or or maybe not as you know, maybe not as uh, well understood by society because we didn't all have the opportunity to connect to each other the way we do now through social media is that, you know, growing up, especially like with bullshit, like the 50s era and, you know, the like the fucking nuclear family and all that crap. Yep. There was always this idea of like, you have to be committed to family no matter what. Like mm-hmm. your family can be a bunch of fucking murderers and psychopaths and racists and, you know, misogynists and whatever. Mm-hmm. And you still have to love them. And gradually we've gotten to this point in society where I think more and more of us are kind of saying, uh, fuck that. Yes. You know, like I'm one of those, I've cut off a lot of family that has revealed themselves to be quite awful in my mind. (laughs) Matt is very good with that. I, I personally struggle with that. I very much was raised, you know, with the loyalty of the family is. Well, well, and we all have, and we all have our different approach to it and we all have Mm -hmm. our different reasons and upbringings and all that kind of stuff. But the thing, the thing is with Alex here, you know, I think that that moment where Grace murders his mother, mm-hmm. it's it's the decision of commitment to family and not his wife, right? Yes. You know, the, the decision of I, I'm committed to my family, I'm committed to this rich lifestyle, and it, you're not worth any of it, despite the fact that you are better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to what you were talking about earlier, old versus new when it comes to traditions. Mm. You know, Alex is dedicated to the old tradition of family, despite its horrible nation, horribleness, uh, <laughs> little tipsy at this point, versus the new tradition, the family he's trying to... I can't to- tell. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! 
You were saying? <laughs> uh, versus the new tradition, the family he's trying to build for himself. And I think a lot of us can agree that like that can sometimes be difficult. It can be difficult to step out of the shadow of the family you were raised with to build the family that you want. Matt has an easier time with it. I struggle with it. And Matt is an awesome husband and is with me, despite the fact that he is legitimately worried my family's going to murder him one day. No, 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 not anymore. <laughs> I thought they were going to, but now that we're married, we've been married for a few years, so I kind of think I'm past the point of being murdered by them. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we're trying to lull you into a false sense of security, or if, maybe if you, COVID fucked everything up. If, if you die before me, I think they'll murder me so that I don't get anything from you but <laughs> i don't think they'll murder you they'll just leave you off the street <laughs> either way um but the point <laughs> what a horrible thing but, but 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 just you know to conclude the whole theme here is i i love that i i really really love this ending because you know i i remember uh after the year this film came out it's before know, we got married right it was before we got married. It was it was right before COVID and all that kind of stuff. Like the, you know, it, this you know this was 2019. So this mm-hmm. was like a little bit before 2020. Uh, I think I want to say the film came out in August. I don't quite remember exactly, but it's right before uh, our wedding. But it was right before our wedding. Yeah, no, we were talking about this movie <laughs> as we were getting married because of this. Um, but but you know, I, I just it, it, it's such a perfect like this film. Every once in a while, you get those movies that are just such a perfect encapsulation of their time period. Mm-hmm. And and Ready or Not is one of those because, you know, it's not that the filmmakers could foresee, you know, the Trump administration and COVID and the way that the wealthy treated it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but in a sense, they foresaw that because everyone was – you know, using imagery from this movie to, to represent how they felt by the end of 2019 going into 2020. Mm-hmm. All of us were referencing the image of Samara Weaving sitting out there, dress all fucked up, covered in blood, <laughs> building, burning behind her and smoking a cigarette because that's how we feel. In yes. That's how we feel under the rules and the reign of the rich is that, you know it basically gets to a point like the the whole thing with the ending here is like there is no escape other than burning it all the fuck down yep. you know you're going like, to be covered in blood and scars and it's going to hurt but burn that fucking shit down right it's just that that is like you know <laughs> i mean i mean that's just kind of the overall idea of it is just you know there there is no way out other than that all this shit's got to burn down yep. because the rich aren't just going to give it up you know nope. they're going <laughs> to and and her smoking the cigarette too, I just love because you know we know that she's a smoker from the beginning, and she's hiding it throughout the rest of the film. Even denies the cigarette from the mother, which I mean, come on, have a have a smoke with mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, but her having that at the end is just like she gets to be herself again. I mean, that's that's the other important piece of it is that she no longer has to pretend to be someone else to be more proper and better or whatever for these fucking rich people. She gets to just be grace i mean not only that but the cigarette that she's smoking in the case she took it from is the family heirloom that she took off the dead body of the mother damn right so (laughs) it's a great just like fuck you i'm gonna burn your family to ash right and and i didn't even mention too just the fact that you know there is like religious theme here of just you know her her being named grace and basically taking down this whole 
devil-packed family. <laughs> Satan <laughs> very, cold. Very, very, very cheesy and on the nose and everything, but it works. I love it. <laughs> but all right, so we do have to start wrapping up, unfortunately. Uh, so who's your killer idiot of Ready or Not? Look, that's fucking Alex. It's Alex for not talking to the woman that he loves about what the fuck she's about to step into. So you know what? You're a fucking idiot, Alex. You do not deserve Grace because she's fucking hot and funny and amazing, and you deserve to die as well as your fucking Satan Warren shipping family. Uh, he definitely doesn't deserve her. I still say my killer idiot, though, is Emily because she is truly a fucking <laughs> moron. <laughs> she is, but I love her. I love her, too. It doesn't mean I can't call her an idiot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just one small thing, though. Th this is a trope that I would like to see the switch of uh, more often is that with movies about rich families with spoiled kids, it's always the daughter that is like the the dumb, obnoxious one. Yeah, we got and it I, both in your next and with Ready or Not. Right, and I, I would love to see more often have like the spoiled, dumbass dude. <laughs> yes, please give me a rich. I'm not gonna say himbo because they're not good if they're if they're rich. But yeah, please give me like a dumb rich sibling. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, no, it was Emily. Uh, what about your killer death? Everybody fucking exploding in the end. It's fucking amazing. And also they killed the kids, which I think is hilarious. I mean, fuck those kids. Fuck those kids. <laughs> that kid shot the, her. The, the, those kids were part of that family blood. They're going to be fucking terrible. So. Yes, they are. And they deserve to get exploded in blood bags. No, yeah, they totally deserve it. And I mean, for, for fuck's sake, one of them shot Grace, you know, yes. fuck them. They can, <laughs> they should have gotten a worse death than exploding. Fuck um <laughs> And fun thing about that too is even though the the explosion itself is digital, I believe, all of the blood splatter is real. Oh, like I love all, that. Like all of the blood splatter is real. They really had like blood cannons and shit that they were shooting people with, and <laughs> and when Emily and her kids run out, that is a blood cannon like shooting all that gore into the rooms. So. I mean, look, that's how you do the perfect marriage of CGI and practical. Absolutely, like you know, people always uh, like I know I complain about CG a lot, but. I'm not one of those who thinks that CG has no place in film whatsoever. Of course it does. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a new tool for us to use, and we can do more things with it. More I just, blood. <laughs> I'm just one of those people who believes in the Tom Savini rule of, like, give me the fake shit melded with the real shit. You know, yep. something Savini always did, not to go on a rant here, but <laughs> something Savini always did with his effects is that, you know, say that you have, like, the Pamela Voorhees thing, right, where the head gets chopped off. Mm -hmm. They have a fake head, but they have a real human body you know, tucked into the sweater with real hands and everything. So you meld the two to make it feel more real. Mm -hmm. that, that That's how sh CG should be used more often. Use yeah. CG with practical. You blend it so it looks better. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> film door moment there. Um, what about your killer MVP of Ready or Not? Uh, look, for me, that goes to the costume designer, Avery Plews, just because I think that for a movie where everybody's only in one outfit – they did such a good job of encapsulating who each character is and what's defining of them. You know, and I think that that's super impressive. And I specifically want to look at Aunt Helen because she, the cloaks that they wear later on in the movie are these purple cloaks. Aunt mm. Helen is in that from the beginning, which kind of, I think, is this hint to 
the cultiness of the family, and how deep down Aunt Helen has gone after the death of her husband. Well, how deeply committed she is to the family and the yeah. tradition of it. And I think that that is the brilliancy of costuming when it's done right, that it can convey these messages about who these people are with simple articles of clothing. And that's so fucking genius. And secondary, I have to give it up to the casting department because everybody was so perfectly cast for this film Agreed. that, like... Well, well, and and you also know as a cost, as someone who did costume design, like how difficult it is to, you know, keep up the continuity with all the blood splatter and everything. Oh my god! So like just knowing that Grace had seventeen different dresses, you know, that's how you so, have to do horror. Right, exactly. Like it's difficult. You know, mm-hmm. people don't think about that. People just look at costumes and you know they're like, all right, whatever. You know, like most people don't even think about costume design. Nope. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned her. That mm-hmm. very deserving. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, of course, yeah. I'm going to give mine to Samari Weaving because I fucking she, love her. So. She's a goddess. She's our new scream queen, and we worship at the altar of Samara Weaving. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be creepy, but yes. No. Yeah. No, no, we don't actually have an altar, <laughs> except for to the Gorn. The Gorn does have or an do altar. Or do we? Um, <laughs> Just the Corn Gorn. Just the Corn Gorn. Um, so, anyway, uh, on Twitter every week, we always put up a poll at Killer Critics, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it. So, between uh, love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on, ready or not? I only accept love it. Love it was it. Uh, yes. So, love it got 69%. Giggity. <laughs> Giggity. Uh, it's fine got 13.5%. Don't like it got 2%. And never seen it got a surprising 15.5%. Come on, um, get on your shit, people. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I never, you know, I never criticize like what people haven't haven't seen. You know, we uh, there's so many movies, but that's the I, good one. I'm the drunk one at this point. Get on your shit, people. <laughs> but I will just say, you know, it's a movie from 2019, and it stars fucking Samara Weaving, and it's amazing. So mm-hmm. definitely, those of you who haven't seen it, go check it out as soon as possible. It's yep. so so good. Uh, so always good comments from y'all as well. So these are all from Twitter. So first up is at Halloween Year Round. So that's Halloween Y R. R-N-D, and they have a website as well. You should check them out, see all their content. But they say, absolutely love this movie. That hide-and-seek song was stuck in my head for days after seeing it. And what really makes the movie is LaBelle's nod to Grace at the End, showing that she's earned his respect by winning the game. I agree. A, I kind of want to get the hide-and-seek song. Like, I want it, but I'm also terrified that it would freak me out. So that you and your family can play it while you hunt me? I mean, yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, that's just, like, a fun pastime. You know, it's just for funsies when we're bored. Obviously. Um, but yeah, the we didn't talk about the LaBelle nod at the end. I fucking love because, yeah, it's it's the acknowledgement of Grace and the amazingness that she is. Look, if the devil can acknowledge Grace, so can we because she's fucking amazing. Uh, indeed. Uh, so the <laughs> uh, no, I agree. It, it's a catchy song. It's been stuck in my head ever since we started watching this movie last week. Um and no, you do have to love that nod because it's, again, it's it's saying to Grace, you know what, you you earned this. Mm-hmm. You actually earned this, unlike <laughs> the rest of this family. <laughs> Congratulations! I won't explode you. Exactly. So anyway, thank you at Halloween Year Round for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is a comment from at Zombie Bunny. So that's Zombie B U N N I E. And they say, how can you not love Samara Weaving being a badass in Converse in a ripped wedding dress? I 100% agree. And also, I will say that my wedding dress was nice for the wedding. But for Matt and my reception, I did kind of uh, steal Samara Weaving's thunder and make it bloody for the reception. Because what a fucking look. Who doesn't love a bloody bride in Converse? 
It's pretty great. Um, and, and, you know, the covers are a nice touch, too, you know, speaking of the costume design, because I, you know, it, it implies Samara's status in mm-hmm. the world, right? You know, because fucking rich, spoiled motherfuckers like this probably don't wear Converse very often. So. Well, and the fact that they're yellow mm. is just, for me, the the signal that she is literally sunshine and purity. It's not red to go with the blood. You know, it's not blue. Yellow such an unusual color for Converse's, I feel like. And that's really speaking to who Grace is as a character. The costume design is so fucking good in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Sunlight, spotlight, you know, sunshine, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so, Dawn. Dawn. There you go. So thank you at Sami Bunny for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up was a comment from another for the fire. So that's another, the number four, the fire. And they say, my favorite of the year next to us, which also came out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closing shot with Love Me Tender playing had me about dancing out of the theater. Then it stirred and I spattered a bunch out on my blog. So you should go. They They left their... A piece that they wrote about the movie on our Twitter under our poll for this. You can go check that out there. But, yeah, no, it it was one of my favorites of the year along with us, which is also incredible. I've seen a bunch of hate for it on Twitter today. I don't know what the hell that's all about. Why? I don't know because people are weird. Um, (laughs) Dumbs. But, you know, I I agree that, like, well, well, it wasn't necessarily the song that had me dancing out of theater. I did Mm. practically dance out of theater after seeing this movie because it was so goddamn satisfying. Yes. You know, this is, I've said this before and I'll say it again, is that this is something I want to see more of in the genre lately. Uh, We're getting a ton of great films, a Mm -hmm. ton of great films, and I'm never going to knock, you know, the, the idea that we have all these horror films that are very like based on trauma and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're very good and I'm glad we have them. Uh, but I do enjoy seeing more things like ready or not, where you feel good leaving yeah. the theater, you know, like you feel like watching Samara just completely dismantle <laughs> this family. You feel good after that shit, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and for me, I feel like that's something that we're missing sometimes. Like, you know, us is a great film, you know, it's dark and scary and it's got great kills in it. But the difference between that and Ready or Not is Ready or Not is fucking fun and light. And yeah, it's one of the things I feel like we are missing in the horror community sometimes is just give me a slasher that's fucking fun and light. And that music, that song at the end is perfect. I agree. Yeah. That does make I, you dance out of the theater. I do, however, think that we're... we're uh, getting into more of that kind of territory or, or you know, I, I do think that we're getting more into that kind of stuff because we are seeing a huge resurgence of slashers uh, this year and next coming. So it's finally my fucking year. Yeah. I like, I like <laughs> to say that it feels like we're, we're moving on from like seventies type horror to like early eighties type yes. horror. So, so hopefully that'll be the case. I, I would love to see more stuff like that again, but uh, so thank you at another for the fire for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at 324 underscore B21. So those are the numbers, 324 underscore B21. And they say, Samara and her roles in horror have just been amazing. All of them I would rate as love it. The Babysitter, Mayhem, Ash vs. Evil Dead, all great. Does she qualify for Scream Queen status yet, or does her career have to circle back to horror to get that title? I think that's the amazing thing about Samara Weaving and the culture of horror horror right now 
is that we no longer have to define girls as just being scream queens. Samara really has cemented the new trend of horror where, yes, you can be a scream queen ostensibly like we see in Ready or Not, or you can be super vengeful like we see in Mayhem, or you can be the goddamn killer like in Babysitter. Women mm. don't have to be resigned to one singular role, and that's what I fucking find super sexy about Samara Weaving. Okay, uh, to actually answer their question, um, yes, I think that they could. <laughs> I think no, no, no. I, I think that's a good point, but I also do think that Samara, yes, if if you can, if you want to use that label for, her, I would absolutely say she could be a scream queen because she kicks ass in the horror <laughs> genre. And like we said, has an amazing scream. So she does. Um, so I do agree with that, and I agree with what Chris said too. Is that you know we 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 are evolving that term as well, and Samara is part of that evolving. You know, mm-hmm. in the sense that she is just doing so many different types of roles within the genre. Um, but thank you at three two four underscore b two one for the comment. Appreciate it. And then lastly, is a comment from my buddy at Justin underscore Drebeck. Uh, so that's Justin underscore D R A B E K. And Justin actually has a column that he does talking about a bunch of uh, SpectreVision movies and his relation to them uh, uh, on Manor Vallum uh, that you can find on Twitter. I also write for them as well. Check them out. Uh, They're great. But he says, such a fun film. Took my mother to see it in the theater, and we both loved it. Okay, that's fucking adorable. You took your mom to this movie. I love you. Yeah, no, that's adorable. Yeah, this movie's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, I just wanted to say to that, like, it is a it is a family horror film in a sense, right? So, like, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure Justin, you know, uh, Justin's mother's status with horror and like what she thinks of it or not, but but it is that film that I feel like us horror fans, us hardcore horror fans, can kind of share with our family members, you know, yeah. and our family can actually get into it instead of, you know. If I were to introduce them to something like Saw or Martyrs or something like that, you know, maybe they won't be as into it. But that's why <laughs> but we re- need fun slashers. Yeah, but Ready or Not really is just like that fun genre film that, you know, you can sit down with the family and watch. And anyway, I'm glad your mom enjoyed it. I'm glad you guys had a good time, Justin. So uh, thank you at Justin underscore Drawback for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and so we always like to mention releases for the week as well. Some really good stuff coming out this week. Uh, first up is a film I have not seen. It's called He's Watching. It comes to VOD on the 21st. Uh, kind of looks like a really kind of creepy, sort of interesting, uh, I think, found footage movie. But but it looks interesting. I don't know much about it. Uh, so check that out if you're curious. Uh, another coming to Shudder on the 21st is Moloch. And this is basically like a folk horror film that kind of deals with uh sort of like ancient i don't know how much i want to say about it because i don't want to spoil anything but but it's basically a folk a folk horror film that deals with this old legend in a town and i really don't want to say much more because i don't want to spoil it (laughs) um but but i found it i have seen this i found it to be very creepy it's very effective it didn't completely blow me away but I really enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and the finale, especially the last few scenes, will, I think, certainly leave you kind of like a oh shit sort of <laughs> moment. Um, so definitely check out Moloch on Shutter on the 21st if you can. And then lastly, of course, is Jordan Peele's Nope coming yep. to theaters on the 22nd. Uh, his his sci-fi horror alien invasion movie, at least the way that it looks. <laughs> I'm so excited for this one. So excited. Uh, I've heard kind of mixed things, but for the majority, it seems like people really enjoyed it and mm-hmm. really think it's potentially a new sci-fi horror classic. So that yes. definitely has me excited. I love everything Jordan Peele does. Yep. Um, so check that out on the 22nd. Uh, otherwise, next week, we are going to be wrapping up this month with the 
uh, recent remake of Black Christmas. Uh, unfortunately, that is not streaming, so go rent it and check it out there if you can. Do your homework. Uh, otherwise, that's going to do it for us. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, Horfins. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>